0: So my hot take is this, and again, this is very controversial. And if I were to tweet it, I would get ratioed. But I'm going to tell you it because (laughs) we're talking. Uh, My hot take is that one of the greatest things, the smartest thing Republicans ever did, was convince the mainstream media that they were too liberal.
1: That's Molly Jongfast. I'm Margaret Sullivan. And this is American Crisis, a show that asks the question, can journalism save democracy? I'll be looking at this question with the help of some wonderful guests, with an emphasis on how media and politics have changed between two hinge events in American history, the Watergate scandal in the 1970s, which brought down an American president and changed politics forever, and January 6, 2021, the effects of which are still playing out even as former President Donald Trump launches his presidential campaign as indictments swirl around him on multiple fronts. By the way, all our episodes live over at margaretsullivan.substack.com, along with a bunch of bonus stuff, including written pieces and discussion threads. You can also support the show there or sign up for free so each episode of American Crisis lands right in your email. That's margaretsullivan.substack.com. My guest today is the Vanity Fair writer and author Molly Jongfast, whom you've probably seen on Morning Joe, Lawrence O'Donnell, and lots of other places. Her observations are as entertaining as they are acute. I just want to sort of have an overview here of what we're talking about. the the topic is, can journalism save democracy? And we're looking at that through the lens of two hinge events in American history, Watergate, which happened before Molly was born because she's so young, and (laughs) January 6th, which you definitely were around for that. The actual name of this podcast is American Crisis. Do you think that's an overstatement or do you think America is indeed in a democratic crisis?
0: So I think there are two different things happening at the same time. One is that you have this slow moving assault on democracy that is happening through the Supreme Court and through, you know, kind of Republican state legislatures and that stuff like this Ohio anti ideas bill and don't say gay. They're sort of slow moving ways to undermine. I mean, I don't know if you know in Ohio, they have this Proposition 8, which is coming up on the ballot in August, which will make it harder for there to be ballot initiatives, right? Ballot initiatives will need a 60% instead of a 50 percent margin because these liberal ballot initiatives are so popular that Republicans are trying to undermine them. So that is a sort of slow moving crisis. It's happening, but we're sort of spot checking it. And, you know, the more local news, the more that corruption is caught, the more people are able to kind of stop it as it goes. Then there is the sort of fast-moving crisis, which is the Trump, Trumpism, Desantis, this kind of assault on our way of life, which is, uh, you know, January six, the
1: actual clearly anti-democratic kinds of things like uh, denying the results of a legitimate right. election and trying to make sure that in the future there can be more success at that, right? Right.
0: And harassing poll workers, that kind of thing, where it has much, much quicker results. But they're both Mm -hmm. going to the same place, right? Which is that this sort of republican belief that democracy is a failed experiment and it's time to take back the reins because you know Franco had some good ideas which is I mean uh, is
1: there is there really an ideology there or is it more of a power grab
0: No I think there's an ideology there I mean I think you wouldn't have CPAC in Hungary You wouldn't have states, you know, like Florida and Texas embracing these Hungarian ideals of democracy, which are not democracy, they're autocracy, unless uh, you did have an actual ideology there. Let's talk about think about Christopher Rufo. Right. This is a guy who discovered this thing called CRT. Uh, It was a legal framework from the 1970s. Critical race theory. Yes. But he decided that this was actually happening in kindergartens and and lower schools. It's not true. Critical race theory is its own thing. And it is not, you know, it is being taught in law schools. But it didn't matter because you had a Republican base that was so out of touch with what, you know, actual facts that they went along with it. And now we're seeing, you know, two years later, legislation, like what Dan Patrick is doing in Texas, where he's actually trying to uh, remove tenure from academics. Let's talk about the two,
1: at least as I see it, the two ways that the two major ways that the news media is not serving democracy well. And it kind of breaks down along sort of left, right and middle lines. So first of all, you've got the the right wing media led by fox news but certainly not just fox right. news doing its thing how do you see that eroding democratic norms what's going on there i mean is it about is it the fact that it's not truthful is it the fact that it's 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 almost an arm of the government you know what how would you describe it
0: so what's interesting i think about fox news is that it started out sometime between 96 and 97 as a sort of hilariously bad, right? The production value was so low and they were pretending to be, you know, you had Sean Hannity with Combs, right? With Alan Combs. So you had a liberal with a Republican. They were pretending to be more balanced. And as it kept going, it became more and more of just a sort of propaganda arm of the RNC. And now it is a sort of full propaganda arm of the RNC. In my mind, I think that Fox has been really dangerous, but it has only really been able to connect with a much older section of the population, a section of the population that has that sort of wants to be scared and wants to believe that someone like Donald Trump can fix all of their problems. Now, what's happened now is that, you know, people are cutting the cable cord. You see this more and more. Uh, Most young people don't have cable. And so there are not huge numbers of 22 year olds watching Fox News all day.
1: Right. But don't you think it sort of seeps into the larger ecosystem through the digital presence and also just through its influence that it kind of it's not just sort of people sitting down in front of their TVs to watch Sean Hannity or used to be able to watch Tucker Carlson? Yeah. But it's 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 got a sort of a broader, you know, hard to measure influence, I think.
0: Yeah. And I think you're and I mean, I would say that the place where you're really seeing it is the Republican state legislature. Like you are seeing bills that are completely crafted for Fox News and nothing else or for, you know, to delight the Elon Musks of the world. Here's a great example. Don't say gay. You know, DeSantis created Don't Say Gay in order to have something to run on, right? In this Republican primary. It was not a big problem that children were reading about gay people and somehow then they were dropping dead. I mean, that's not how this works. So he decided that, you know, this would be a good kind of culture war. And I guess one of the things that you could say that really is the legacy of Fox News is culture wars. You know, the and they're not culture wars. They're war on LGBTQ people. So to say they're culture wars greatly understates them. They are uh, bullying of a minority in the way that we saw during the civil rights era, it's also sort of
1: stoking this outrage and stoking this grievance
0: and violence. I mean, ultimately, yeah. it's if we saw January 6th with anything, we saw it ultimately stoked violence. So right. I do think, you know, look, it's the Republicans think that using the other and this, again, is right from the fascism playbook, that otherizing a group of Americans will then galvanize their base.
1: Yeah. And it, it does work. I mean, we yeah. did get Donald Trump.
0: Right. How do you hold
1: that accountable? Can it only be done through the courts as we saw with the Dominion suit? Or is there some other way to address it?
0: I don't know about you, but I'm so careful when I write anything to make sure that it's been reported somewhere else. If I'm writing opinion stuff, I try to really make sure that something I'm writing about has been reported somewhere else because you don't want to commit libel. So this the flagrant way in which Uh, Fox did this was very libelous. I mean, it was sort of the textbook of libel. Um, And the settlement ultimately did, in fact, really, you know, Tucker Carlson is out. So
1: you draw a direct line between that, whatever it was, $700 million, $787 million settlement and Carlson being shown the door?
0: Yes. Yes. I mean, again, I don't know because it hasn't been reported, but it certainly seems to me like the timing is is quite convenient.
1: Yeah. Well, a lot of stuff came out in those depositions and court filings that was were pretty shocking. But then again, we knew a lot of that too. But I right. suppose having it in the mouths of the people who actually work there in writing is, is pretty startling. Yeah. A quick break here to say that this episode of American Crisis with Molly Jongfast is entirely free. The full versions of most episodes will only be available to paying subscribers, but this is our first show, so here you go. You can sign up at margaretsullivan.substack.com at no cost, and everything will land right in your inbox. And you can also support the show there. You might have noticed that you haven't been forced to skip through ads, That's because we're forging a different model for podcasting here. American Crisis is entirely supported by listeners. Please consider joining us at margaretsullivan.substack.com. So let's talk about how well the mainstream media or big journalism, the big newspapers, the, the big networks, and so on, how well they do with coverage of politics and how well they do or don't do with coverage of campaigns. What's your analysis of it? Do you think they're pretty good? Do you think they're spotty? What, what are your, and what are the problems as you see them? So
0: my hot take is this. And again, this is very controversial. And if I were to tweet it, I would get ratioed. But I'm going to tell you it because <laughs> we're talking. Uh, my hot take is that one of the greatest things, the smartest thing Republicans ever did was convince the mainstream media that they were too liberal. Because you see every time you read reporting, every time you read stuff like this, you can tell that the media is trying to overcorrect for the anxiety that they might be liberal. They're on the defensive all the time, right?
1: Yeah. Constantly saying like, oh, we don't want to be called liberal. So let's move over to the right. Right. Or let's make sure we represent as equal things that aren't equal.
0: I mean, Republicans have embraced authoritarianism, right? There is no Democrat who is saying, like, we have to stop having elections. That's a Republican talking point, right? So the idea that there would somehow be a kind of equivalency here, it's not equivalent. And the problem is there is a lot of anxiety on the left and not even on the left, on the mainstream, that somehow the mainstream media is to in the tank for liberal democracy, and right. needs you're spouting, to. You're
1: spouting DNC talking points, right. blah blah blah. Right. And so, isn't that where we get the CNN town hall with with Donald Trump? I mean, right. isn't that the sort of mentality that we're seeing at CNN, which is sort of saying, "Well, we we want to be welcoming to all, and so we're going to give Donald Trump this platform to lie." I mean. That's the sort of going down the middle thing that you're talking about, I think.
0: Well, what you want. When you're doing something with Donald Trump and you and I both know this and you have written about this ad nauseum, probably probably you're bored with this topic. But you were the one who first wrote about this, even though you were not the creator of it. This idea of the truth sandwich. Right. So if you're going to let a candidate and Donald Trump is certainly the 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 most egregious example of this, but we we see it with a lot of candidates largely on the right occasionally there might be again, I I would say like to compare the lying that a Donald Trump does or even a Ron DeSantis did yesterday about, you know, we have the lowest crime and it turns out they changed the way they report crime in Florida. So like that kind of thing. Uh, If you're going to do that, then I think you definitely have you have to tell the truth before and after. And that is what we're talking that's about. That's the you, truth sandwich. You truth start with sandwich, the truth, yeah.
1: you let the lie or the misstatement sit out there, and then you correct it, right? But that isn't really the way we do reporting. I mean, that is a difficult thing to put on the front page or the home page of the New York Times because it's not news. I mean, that's the problem I think we run into. It's against sort of the practices of, of journalism. News.
0: But this is so let me just say that and that's one of the dangers why you can't you can no longer with these post-truth candidates run quotes like, uh, you know, I won the 2020 election, says Donald Trump. You can't run those. You can't be a stenographer. You have to be careful. It's funny because I actually did. uh, I was on BBC a couple months ago and they literally let Trump just go off about stuff. And and I was like, none of this is true. Like, when are you going to debunk this? And even with the CNN town hall, which, again, you know, nobody is defending that. That was not a good move. But what I did think was interesting was you got Tapper right away being like, none of that's true. And you had even Anderson, who eventually, you know, more complicated. He was like, none of that's true. There are definitely mistakes are being made. But mistakes are not being made quite in the same way they were being made in 2015.
1: One of the things I often hear people say is, did the media learn anything from the Trump, you know, the Trump election in 2016? In and then the sort of the, you know, the Trump administration, did they learn anything? And one of the things I sort of think about is, well, was there a desire to learn? Or actually, Aren't the imperatives something else? Aren't they really sort of about profits and about uh, traffic? And they're not about serving democracy. I mean, do we have a mission problem?
0: Yes, we do, but that's always been true, right? I mean, this this idea that there was at one point a nonprofit media is—I mean, Hearst newspapers. Like this has always been how it's been, and you know, we live in a capitalist country. I, I think, look. Would it be nice if we had a BBC in this country? For sure. One of the people I worry about more than I worry, you know, I don't know if I worry about him, but Elon Musk has worked really has been working really hard to make Twitter the new media. Right. And he's going to have Brian Krasenstein and you know, the guy from Newsmax be his new reporters. And these two are going to replace the New York Times. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's going to happen because it's so stupid. But there is certainly you do see there is a desire there for some of these people to they want to, media is powerful. And that is why they're so angry at us.
1: So do you think that uh, what would your call to action, if I could ask for that, be to mainstream or, you know, sort of big journalists who cover politics? What should they be doing differently? What would you like to see and what would serve the democracy better?
0: So, I mean, again, you just should not believe anything a politician tells you on face value democrat republican and don't don't present it as the truth right don't present it as the truth and again i mean i always think so i'm on the opinion side so and you are also on the opinion yes. side now so being on the opinion side means that we're allowed to have an opinion right so but i spend a lot of time thinking about what does it mean? What is your what do you what is your opinion? And when you read straight news, I mean, what is put in there and what is not put in there and how it's put in there is all about opinion, right? Like your opinion is dictating what you put in the story. So I would say I would if I were a straight news reporter who was writing straight news, the thing I would be thinking about the most is, What is influencing my opinion here? What is influencing my bias? Am I falling? Am I being lazy and falling back on old tropes? Right. Like the horse race trope. Like, for example, I was really heartened. I did a cable news show this morning and I was really heartened because the host really pushed back on a narrative. You know, one of the reporters was saying who's a straight news reporter was saying that people are moving to Florida in huge numbers which has been true for a long time. And some of that is largely it's because of taxes, right? Because people don't want to pay state taxes. And now the way it works because of the Trump tax cut is that blue states were actually punished. So we don't deduct our state and local tax the way we used to. This is very boring, but it's true. So the taxes actually went up in blue states. I love talking tax policy with you, Molly. I'm sorry. It's my by the way, when I talk about my podcast, Jesse just cuts it because he just (laughs) doesn't. But but anyway, so so there are reasons that people move to Florida that have nothing to do with Ron DeSantis. And the host really did say, you know, that's not true. This is not why people. And so the more that kind of thing you can do, the more you can sort of like think about things. Sometimes things are presented in a way that they seem to be facts. And to have someone, I mean, to have a host be like, no. So there's a lot about preparation and actually
1: knowledge and being willing to push back. And I think that's true of interviews, too. The follow-up question, the actual pushing back on things is huge. So how worried are you personally about the future of the United States uh, in terms of its continuing to be a democracy for your three children you know, into the sort of long distance future? Are we are we headed in the same direction as some of these, you know, almost authoritarian countries? I mean, does how much of that depends on
0: the 2024 election? Like, where are we going here? If Joe Biden wins in 24, we may have just eked it out, right? We may have had our Watergate moment. Uh, Because I think if Trump gets defeated again, I think it's possible that Republicans will be like, oh, maybe we've really been just (laughs) I mean, again, it's also possible they won't. I mean, it's possible they just keep going on this like fascism. My more the anxiety I have more is that DeSantis comes in and but I don't think it will happen because he's such a terrible retail politician. But DeSantis is very good at enacting these Trumpy policies in a way that Trump is not. And so that gives me a lot of anxiety. And what about the Supreme Court? I mean, there, so
1: much comes down to what's happened in recent years there. And that's an institution
0: that is a mess. It's a mess. And Congress can actually, if you look back at Reconstruction, there was actually a really interesting article I just read about this. If you look back at Reconstruction. Congress can be more aggressive with the Supreme Court and they should be like they have a job to keep the Supreme Court in check. This Supreme Court is not a real Supreme Court anymore. It's really a political entity and it's created by Trump. You know, we have five very, very conservative justices, all of which are working really hard to try to remake the country in this sort of you know at best reagan at worst trump and again neither good um you know kind of image and so i do think that the congress really should be pushing harder back on the supreme court i also think term limits there's no reason there shouldn't be term limits on the supreme court and and i think that there and i think there's really a mechanism for that but that but i don't know that you get that done before the 2024 election you could also have a very clear
1: code of ethics which would be troubling for some people right now on the Supreme Court.
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing about the fact that Roberts refuses, you know, we hear so much reporting Roberts cares about his legacy, cares about his legacy, cares. Well, he obviously doesn't, because if you cared about his legacy, he would be in there being like, Clarence Thomas, you can't do this. Right. I mean, the Clarence Thomas is making a mockery of the Supreme Court every single day. And so is Harlan Crow. I mean, you know, this is we have I mean, I don't know if you read this reporting, but we had we had one of the liberal Supreme Court justices panicked about taking a gift of bagels from her friends because she thought it would look like influence trading. And then we have Clarence Thomas going on vacation with Harlan Crowe.
1: Right. And I would say, though, uh, that one heartening thing to me is that we know about this stuff about Clarence Thomas because of ProPublica, yeah, largely. And that and in that case, you know, the media is really doing its job of holding power to account. Well, it's not exactly holding it to account. It's allowing it to be held to account by the public and by Congress, whether that comes to pass is another question. But we yeah. have to know about it first. And so that's extremely important. So what do you think?
0: uh, To conclude, can journalism save democracy or not? Uh, Can journalism save democracy? I think more likely nothing can save anything. I think democracy can be Americans can save democracy, right? Americans can can say I mean, what we've seen so far, right, is that people don't like Trumpism. They don't like autocracy. They don't like you know, they don't hate gay people. In fact, they don't hate trans people. They don't. They don't care. And ultimately, Republicans were almost better off when they were saying, we just don't want the government in our business, right? I mean, now we're in this... You know, Republicans want to make sure that that if your kid thinks they were born the wrong gender, you can take, you know, the government can take them away. I think this is a very, very stupid on the part of Republicans. I think it's evil, but I also think it's stupid. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that the American people want this. I think the American people want they want maybe they want lower taxes from Republicans and maybe they want, you know, trains and they want You know, not they want children not to starve, but I don't think they want to have, you know, the government bullying trans kids. I just don't think there's an appetite for that besides the fact that it's morally reprehensible. And so I do think that Republicans are really, uh, you know, they've they've Fox News themselves out of a lot of votes. They caught the car. They chased the the car car and caught it. Good.
1: Molly, this has been fun. It's always great to talk to you because you're my friend and you're so smart. So thanks Mm -hmm. for doing this. And I think the takeaway here is maybe journalism can't save democracy, but Americans can save democracy. Yeah. But they have to be well-informed. Yes. And that's huge. One of the insights I take away from this talk with Molly is that threats to democracy are happening in many places, in state houses, in local government, And of course, at the national level, including the Supreme Court, so radically changed in the past decade. We truly are living in a far different America now compared to the Watergate era with the explosion of right-wing media and the regrettable fear on the part of mainstream media of being branded anything other than down the middle neutral. Coming up next week, I'll talk with Asha Rangappa, the brilliant former FBI special agent, lawyer, and current Yale University lecturer. Be sure to listen when Asha provides her call to action for American citizens who want to do their part for democracy. In addition to the podcast, you can find the full American Crisis experience on my Substack, .substack margaretsullivan.substack.com. Production services for American Crisis are provided by Voltage. It's produced by J.E. Peterson and edited and mixed by Ness Smith-Savadoff. The music for this show was composed by Crosstown Traffic. This is American Crisis. I'm Margaret Sullivan. Thanks for listening.